Good morning, Maplecrest. Okay, I think that's working. Okay, I'm in a good mood, and partly because it's a long weekend. I feel a lot of peace. I think it's also the spirit. It's also because I cleaned up my basement. Two and a half year project, and it's done. Imagine walking into a basement, and it's just like embarrassing, you know? I don't know if you guys have basements like that. And it's like, oh. And it's like boxes piled high, and it's like the chip added away weekend after weekend. And Anyway, the floor is clear, and I feel really good about it. I had thought of a lot of jokes. The, the title for today is Spiritual Power in Sex. And that just brings up a lot of jokes, you know? Um, and uh, my wife has forbid me from telling any of them. <laughs> so I'm sorry, you'll just have to come up with your own jokes. <laughs> for spiritual power in sex, the power of sex. Um, and uh, we'll leave it there because she really did forbid me. Uh, so in order to understand, um, today we want to understand why sex is important because we're doing a series on sex and it helps to make the um, future talks kind of make sense because we're talking about, like next week we want to talk about pornography and then um, I'm, I'm probably going to kind of alternate between really, really heavy topics and, and kind of more uplifting ones. Uh, so next week we're going to, today's supposed to be, or last week and this week are a bit more uplifting. Next week we're going to tackle something a bit um, tougher. And, but in order to understand why is this such a big deal, like why are we talking, why does God care about sex? Um, why can't we just do what people want to do, um, whatever they, wherever it leads them? And so today's a little bit touching on why that's important and, uh, yeah, and, and why it's so important to God. Um, Okay, so sex is obviously a controversial topic. It's also a topic that um, you can see has a lot of power in society. Even if you just kind of step back and look at it, um, it's kind of like you could even say, okay, well, why does God think sex is so important? But then you could also look at people and just say, why is sex so important to people? Because uh, when you look at the effect that it has uh, in the world, it's amazing. Governments rise and fall based on their policies around sex. Uh, and in the spiritual world, pastors rise and fall on this topic of sex almost more than any other topic. Uh, the scandalous sin is basically referring to sexual sin. It's the sin that can cut spiritual authority at its knees. I remember, um, now one, one reason is, well, maybe it's because uh, of a sex drive. Like, it's, sex has this kind of power inside of people. But not everybody has a strong sex drive, and I just wanted to talk about that for a second, just to highlight the fact that it's not just sex drive that makes sex powerful. And I remember this, this could be a little bit of a myth, I'm not sure, but I did hear from a therapist who heard from a therapist that about a couple, uh, so I, I like the story and I'm gonna use it, because um, it, it lines up, it's pretty extreme, but it lines up kind of with my experience just in lesser, less extreme cases. Um, but it's so extreme that it kind of drives the point home. So anyway, this couple, neither of them had any sex drive. So let's just imagine a couple where you have zero sex drive in either person. I mean, one of the big reasons people come to counseling is a mismatched sex drive. A libido that's just, they're off from each other, right? And this couple didn't have that problem. They had no sex drive. And they decided through their life experience together, they negotiated. I think we should still have sex once a month. And they came to this conclusion. Neither of them particularly needed to. But they decided to. And this was the reason why. Because it helped their relationship. Isn't that fascinating? 
I just find that super fascinating that a couple who has no real need to have sex decides to because of all of the other reasons around it. Not because he's trying to please her or she's trying to please him, but just because it was good for them. It was healthy for them in their connection to each other. When people have sex, when babies are born and people have sex, there is a cuddle hormone. I might bring this up again in the future, I'm not sure. But there's a cuddle hormone that's released called oxytocin. It's kind of, the nickname is the cuddle hormone. And this hormone, this chemical, is released uh, when a mother looks in, in, in their baby's eyes for the first time. And it's this bonding hormone. I mean, if you think about, you know, geese, I don't know if the geese have oxytocin. I'm just bringing this up now. I don't know why. But anyway, you know how geese, they like, they bond with each other. You know, the babies bond on the first thing they see. This is kind of like that, where you got this oxytocin released and whatever you're looking at, when you get the oxytocin released, you are attached to. That's, that's yours. And it gives us trust in that person that we're bonding with, sometimes a logical trust, but still trust. You get this trust feeling. You feel more, po you have a more positive evaluation of that person that you're connecting with. And it's biblical. I mean, Genesis 2.24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Most people, some people are uncomfortable being naked alone. Um, but generally speaking, the only person that we're comfortable with being naked with is ourselves or potentially a spouse. And to me, being able to be naked with a spouse and be completely comfortable is a sign that they aren't even a separate person. You have completely enveloped that person within your own identity. And now that person is you, in a, in a sense. And that's not completely true. I mean, you could have other reasons for that. But generally speaking, for the regular person who has all kinds of foibles about their body, to be able to be naked with somebody else and have that uh, feeling of complete uh, trust is a sign of being one flesh. I think it's actually amazing that anybody gets along. Um, I remember being, well, I won't get into my own experiences, but like, you know, if you think about teams of people working together, it's miraculous to me that anybody could actually work together for any length of time. And so in that way, even though the divorce rate is quite high and probably getting higher, it's amazing to me that couples do as well as they do, even under those circumstances. With all of the differences of opinion and grading experiences that people have on a daily basis, to be able to constantly forgive each other is a miracle in my mind. And I believe that it's a big part of that is the same reason that that couple had sex once a month. It's because of this bonding hormone. It's because God has designed people not to be separate, but to become one flesh. So that the conversation and the aggravations that people have aren't aggravations between two people, but they're aggravations that you almost have with yourself. So that when you say, hmm, we're having a problem, it's more like I'm having a problem. And you're not trying to separate. You're actually just trying to work it out. So that's all true, and it's important to remember for this talk. But the other power, the, the spiritual power that I want to talk about in particular today is actually different, and it's one that we don't think about as often, and I'm not sure why, 
but the spiritual power that comes from creation. Now, if you were to think about a couple, if you were to think about a human being, and one of the most powerful spiritual acts that a person can engage in in their lifetime, it's the creation of another human being. It's the closest, in some ways, I think, I don't know, there's probably lots of ways, and, and maybe this could be argued, but when I would just look at this topic, I'm like, how can you have anything that is more powerful or spiritual or more divine than the creation of another human being? Sex is an act of creation. And it can create good and it can create evil. So now I'm going to go to one of the most controversial topics or controversial passages in the Bible. Because that's what I like to do. It's more interesting to talk about controversial things. So some extra grace. Uh, I'm not talking about hardcore mainline doctrine. We're talking about something that we can disagree on and still get along. Um, so Genesis 6, 1 to 4. When, a man began, when man began to multiply on the face of the land, daughters were born to them. The sons of God, now the big question is who are the sons of God? But the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, okay, so you have this, the sons of God are taking the daughters of man and having sex. And then you have God's response. My spirit shall not abide in man forever. God's responding very strongly. For he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, they were the people who were being reproduced from these unions between the sons of God and the daughters of man. And also afterwards, and the sons of God came in to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. Those, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. So who are the sons of God? Now, there's two theories, and I'm going to go with the one that is more scint uh, scintillating, which is that they were angels. Uh, now, you could argue also, and I don't think you can come to any kind of conclusion around this based on this, unless you have a revelation from God about the passage. Um, but you could also, some people would argue that it was... Um, which was it? Uh, the sons of... The daughters of Cain and the sons of Seth. So you could kind of say, hey, these were two different people groups in that time who were coming together and they were producing... I don't think that's adequate to explain why they were producing giants. When I see two societies coming together, they don't produce in that way. So it just doesn't quite line up to me. It also doesn't line up with the very extreme reaction of God. I mean, God has a big reaction to people who are having sex, but he basically cuts people's lives by 90% based on this act. And right afterwards, the next passage, after he cuts them by 90%, he says, this is like the next verse, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and thoughts of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So you have this union, this, what I would, I mean, just judging by the reaction that seems to be right at this time, 
from God, which is like, you are no longer living 900 years, you're only living 120, and I'm going to kill all of you. Like, I mean, how could you have a stronger reaction from God, right? Uh, I just don't think it's two people group that came together to produce giants. I just, I can't get there. Oh, how are we doing? Okay. I just can't get there that it would be that kind of situation where he's just going to destroy everybody. So I get to the idea that it's angels, that these sons of God are angels. God was not happy with this situation. Now, the idea that demons, which are angels, and angels that are not in line with the Lord, which is what I use for this category, so I think we'd have to go with the word demons instead of angels, that demons can have sex with people is disturbing. And I think one of the main reasons people don't like that idea is just because the thought is disturbing. They kind of go with these arguments like that just wouldn't happen, like God wouldn't allow that. And, and in some ways he didn't. He basically destroyed everybody right afterwards. Uh, so I think he was disturbed by it too. Um, but the idea that angels or demons could have sex with a human being isn't actually all that far-fetched in the biblical model. Like if you look at, if you have a biblical worldview, First of all, angels can look like people. You've entertained angels without knowing it, the Bible says. I mean, we have these passages in the Bible about angels and people falling down in front of them, but they could look very human. Now, I want... The other one I'm going to get to, the other reason why I don't think it's all that fantastic in, from a biblical worldview that that could happen. But I just want you to kind of see the picture here, because I'm going to get to the other side of this, which is that... There is this union, kind of, uh, this unholy, undivine, unsanctioned union between demons and people, which is an act of creation. That's the big point here. This is an act of creation. It creates something. And God's not happy with it. And the world is destroyed. I, I I don't want to say that's the only reason, because God didn't outline exactly what his reasons were for destroying, other than the fact that they were continually thinking about evil. But I just, the, I just can't escape the link in the story of how this seems to come right after each other. And sequence doesn't beget causation. I know that, but I just can't escape it. So you have this, this idea that there's this unholy union that destroys the planet. The unholy union between, in some ways, a spiritual divineness, these angels and human beings, creates this power that needs to be destroyed and destroys everybody. Now let's look at the other side. God's spirit comes upon a woman in an act of divine creation. This is part of the biblical worldview, that there can be a union between a spirit and a human being that engages in an act of creation according to its kind. You have an act of creation between a, a demon and a person that creates something after its own kind and has a result on the entire planet. And now, in Luke one thirty-five, the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. 
Now, I think it makes it quite clear here that this is not kind of a titillating experience. This is not a licentious experience where you have a divine being seeing this Mary as being attractive and trying to have some kind of experience. This is not about an experience. And that's why I think it's worded the way it is, because this is a holy union. This is a, a spiritual conception, not a licentious sexual act. It's still a conception, though. And there's a symmetry in the story of the pre-flood biblical world and the post-flood Old Testament world where one is this union that destroys the world and Noah is kind of in the boat or pictured as the Jesus in that story. And then you have this other story where there's this holy union now that produces after its kind, which is Jesus, and that act saves the world and saves everybody in it rather than just saving one person. Just saving, you know, by the skin of your teeth, saving humankind. This act saves everybody. You could make a fairly good argument that the entire Bible revolves around the power of sex. The power that comes from a union between the Holy Spirit and a person and how it creates after its own kind. You can make an argument that the biblical story is about the, the production, the, the creation of this and the devil's attempts in many ways to stop it. One thing that you need to know, and this is something that I've kind of just been observant, is anything that's common to all human beings usually has a very strong spiritual power. And one thing that's common to all human beings is sex, in a general sense. So is eating, and that's why fasting is such a spiritual power in our lives. God has made certain things available to anybody in order to reach him, in order to uh, come to him. And sex is one of those, which is why I think it's so important to talk about. Salvation came from the joining of God and man together. And I don't think it just stops with Jesus. The model for creation and the joining of man and God together in creation continues on with us. Acts 2.4 And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon a human being is not isolated to Mary. Mary is not the only person who has a divine conception in their life. We're all Marys. The Holy Spirit is, wants to come upon all of us and create something divine in us. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and exult. Give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. We are pictured as a bride. Our relationship with God is pictured as, okay, so this needs some kind of careful wording. It's, it has elements that are analogous to sex. 
So this is, again, not, we're not, just to be clear, and please apply this throughout the entire talk, this is not date night with Jesus. I, we're, you know, like, this is not, uh, this is not that. Whatever you're thinking I'm meaning by that is probably applies. It's not that. Okay? This is not having sex with God. It's not licentious. It's nothing like that. However, the elements that are included, if you take all of those elements, just about all of them, and apply them to your relationship with God, they all apply. He sees us as beautiful. He sees us as attractive to himself. He's overwhelmed by us, which is hard to imagine. Some would say we have him wrapped around our finger. We bond with him. We are filled with him. We are joined with him. We, I would go so far as to say that the goal of this is to become one flesh. We are the bride. We are to become one flesh, inseparable from his spirit. Now, if you're uncomfortable, I will go to a more traditional analogy. To be born again. Okay, so I mean, that's something that has been said so many times it loses its meaning. Born again. What is that? Born again. Born again. That's a relationship. Born again. That's who I am. That's like saying I'm Christian. Now, let's take a step back and actually look at what that means. To be born again... What is, being, what is coming together to be born again? Two people? I don't think so. To be born again means to come out spiritually connected with God. And if you are coming out being divinely connected, born again, being born with the Spirit, then what came together in order for it to be born? If you back it up, everybody who's born, some kind of sex happened. So... If you back it up, there was a union between the Spirit and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon a human spirit, and there was then a birth, a joining together. So if you want to say born again, and just remember that something happens before birth, we're on the same page. Every one of us is to be born again, to be, have a union, to have the Spirit come upon our flesh to be a new creation. There's another one. A new creation. How do you have creation as a human being? If I'm a new creation, that means that there was a new bonding. That means that there was new sex that happened. There was a new joining and creation, a mingling, a birth after its own kind. When the Holy Spirit and man came together in Mary, it created after its own kind. So when the Holy Spirit comes together to birth you, it creates after its own kind. There is a new creation. Now, if you take this literally, you might end up like the Pharisee who says, how am I supposed to get back in the womb and be born again, Jesus? And then he would say to you, don't you understand anything? Don't you understand anything? This is spiritual, what I'm talking about. You're supposed to be born again in the spirit. There's supposed to be a union that happens. Can you separate Jesus from God? 
If you were to take Jesus and say, okay, I'm going to cut you somehow so that the, the human part comes out, the Mary part comes out, and the God part comes out, is that possible? No, it's one flesh. There's one flesh that happens. And that is what's supposed to happen with us. Now, what happens when you have full partnership, you have creation? Now, I was talking about how we were created. We're created. We're born again. The Spirit comes with the flesh and creates us. We're the first creation in our own lives. We are born again. When there's, there's a celebration in heaven, when it happens, at every birth. But the picture moving forward, even after you're born again, is that you are still married to God. You are still joining with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way. It's not just about you. You're a parent now. What happens when you get married? The general course of things is that you are called to be to call to multiply. So you are joined again, and you are not supposed to just be concerned about the fact that you're born again, but you are supposed to become a creator. You're a bride. What's a bride? Yeah, they have the honeymoon, but what happens after the honeymoon? Pregnancy. We've got ways of avoiding that now, but that's generally what happened. You know, this is the idea, right, of a honeymoon and then pregnancy. Now, what are we called to create right now? Well, it's very clear. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Matthew 28, 16. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are to go and create disciples. You are going to create discipled nations. That is what the joining now, the creation that we are engaging in. There's a birth that happens when we join. God said, Jesus said in, in John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you come in with me, if you join with me, you will produce good fruit. Anything you can produce on your own is rotten. It's going to be thrown in, even if it looks good. The only way that we can produce something divine is by joining with the Holy Spirit. The only way you can produce Jesus is if you join Mary and the Holy Spirit. Now this is the interesting part. We have a call right now. We have a call to create disciples of all nations. But I don't, and then you get into this picture, the, the typical picture is you, then you get to heaven and creation stops. Then you're on a harp, or sorry, then you're on a cloud with a harp, right? The Philadelphia commercial. You are done, you know? It's retirement. It's like capital retirement, right? Capital retirement. I don't think God retires. If you look at heaven, it's not like, whoa, we're the first ones to step in there. Have you noticed that? If you, if you look at the pictures of heaven, we're not the first. If you go to heaven, you've got to get a history book. We're going to be getting caught up on what's been happening in heaven over a very long time. We're going to have to read the history of heaven. And guess what? Heaven didn't start with us. Now, we have some stories already. We have some of the history of heaven already, just from the Bible. But there's a lot of mystery. The first is, the clearest, is the angels. Angels were here, and angels have a story. They're not just robots that were meant to do a certain thing that don't have free will. Guess what? We're not the only beings with free will. They have free will, too. They got to make a choice. They have a history book. They have their own story. 
a third of them ended up being demons. Then we have more history. We have the pre-flood experience. Then we have the post-flood experience. Then we have our age after Jesus. Then we have indications that there's a millennial kingdom of a thousand years. We don't know exactly how this is all going to look, but there's another age, it looks like, that's coming. And is that really a big surprise after we've had so many different ages, so many different kind of setups? I don't think it's too surprising that there would be another one after us. I don't know if that's offensive, that we should be the only way that, this, that God could interact with people. But there's another way that he's going to interact with people. It's a big topic, really big topic. And then, at the, end, at the end of the Millennial Kingdom, there's the New Earth. And very little is said about what happens after the New Earth. We have the creation of the New Earth. We have a good description of what that looks like in terms of some of the details. But we don't have any idea of what happens after that. So I've counted six different ages. Six different rules, setups on how God is interacting. And you know what's interesting? The previous ages get to interact with the ages that happen after it. It's not like, okay, angels, you had your age. Now you're done you actually now get to interact with the people. The people I'm creating in the next age. And you know what? The people from the previous ages get to interact with the people that came in later ages. There's already examples of that. The Mount of Transfiguration. We have Moses and Elijah coming down in a different age and interacting with that age, participating in the storyline of an age that's after theirs. In Revelation, there's this picture of a judgment from God. God is judging. And the prayers of the saints, and it doesn't just say the saints, it says all the saints. Come before God and in a powerful way bring the judgment onto the earth. What does that mean? That means people, all of the saints from all of the ages are interacting with the destiny of an age that comes later, after them. When we get to heaven, we are going to be interacting with the millennial kingdom. When we get to heaven and there's a new earth, we are going to be interacting. We're going to have a place on that new earth. I, if I was going to do a personality assessment on God, I, was going to, I would say that if he's been creating for this long, he's probably going to keep creating. And if he's allowed people who were in the previous ages to participate in all of the ages afterwards, my guess is that we're going to have a place in participating in the ages to come. Like, just look, we have stories in the Bible that we don't even have a hot clue about. Like, these creatures that are in front of God with the many eyes and the wings, they weren't just, like, what is their story? Like, what age is that? We have no clue what their story is. How many of these things were created? How did they get the privilege of sitting in front of God all day and all night singing holy? What, what happened there? We're going to have a whole history book to learn when we get to heaven. And we're going to have a lot of work to do when we get there. Because our place, and I don't know what other places are going to be created after ours, and I'm not going to get jealous like... Maybe some have in heaven and kind of be upset that God's making a new being that looks fancy. Hopefully, I'm not going to do that. But our place is as a bride. And a bride is a co-creator. 
That's the picture that he's given us. And it's actually one of the last pictures. The bride says, come. It's like the fullest picture. The most completed picture is that of a bride. And a bride is a picture of the joining of God and people in order to create. And when that happens, when the Holy Spirit comes on a person and creates something, it's something that changes everything. Jesus changed everything. And when the Holy Spirit comes on your life and calls you to create something, it changes the world. And unfortunately, when demons come on people to create something, it also changes the world. In the same way that the destruction that happened before Noah, when the demons came on people and and corrupted the world and changed everything, and people were only thinking immoral thoughts, that is still happening. The joining of people and God is happening. The joining of demons and people is happening. People can agree to join with a demon. Sometimes we do it without realizing. I think most of the time people do it without realizing it. And it creates an unholy creation. So why is sex so important? Sex is so important because it's a picture of one of the most powerful ways of interacting with God. A full bonding, a full becoming one flesh. It's a picture of what we're supposed to be, where we have become a product of that joining, where we are completely one flesh with God. We are a new creation. We are born again with the Spirit, with no separation. And we are going to be creating forever. I think. (laughs) For a long time, I know, forever I would think. Forever I would think. But God, I think, has surprises. And he stopped writing at the new earth. And so I don't think he's going to be done writing. But that's as far as we've got. So all we can do is kind of look at his character and say, hey, this is what he's done. This is what he's done from age to age to age. As he's joined with people to create something new, I would expect that to continue. So heaven is exciting. Heaven's a place where we get to be with God and create things with him. We get to be one with our creator. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sex. Preachers don't often get to say that. (laughs) <laughs> Lord, thank you for sex. Yeah. Thank you for this picture of one flesh. This picture of things that seem so different coming together in a holy union. And Lord, I pray that we would be bonded with you. We're so different from each other. Your, your ways are different from our ways. And yet you've chosen to be with us, to create with us, to be powerful with us. And I pray, Lord, that this church would be bonded with you. That you would come upon this church to give birth to new things in Canada. That you would fulfill your promise to come with authority through us to disciple Canada. As we worship together, 
Lord, just join with us. Come upon your people. Come upon your people. So that we can create something new here. Amen.